around here. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through the end of the chapter. And I was thinking today on heroes in honor of our Remembrance Day. There are blessings to any country that will make the God of the Bible their God and abide by his truths as laid out in the Scriptures. These truths, though initially stated by uh, David towards Israel, can apply to us as Gentiles if we're obedient to him. In Psalm thirty-three, twelve, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And the truth is there's great blessings. In being a child of God, I understand this, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we are entered into the promises and blessings of Abraham, amen, and uh, we will enter into that lineage, so that's a blessing there. I'm thinking of a hero, a hero is a, a man or a woman of distinguished valor of, or enterprise and danger or fortitude in suffering, a prominent or central personage in any remarkable action or event, hence, a great or illustrious person. A little further on this, a pastor and author recently wrote that our society has lost the meaning of the word hero. He said that we think that if an athlete can put a ball through a hoop, they're a hero. If a musician can play eight chords on a guitar, they're considered a hero. And if an actor can pretend to be something they are not, they're considered a hero in Hollywood. This pastor wrote, I remember watching a well-known journalist interview an actor about his recent movie, which featured a politically troubled region of the world. When the journalist asked the celebrity what he thought should be done about the political situation there. The actor responded, who cares what I think? And went on to point out that he was an actor. This pastor said real heroes are people who actually do something sacrificial or courageous. He points out that God does not seek out heroes to accomplish his purposes. God isn't looking for a strong man or woman per se. Rather, he's looking for someone whom he can be strong on behalf of. Amen, and quotes there, and that came by Jim Sandel. But I think about some other heroes of the past. One of the heroes that uh, rates highly in my mind is John Wycliffe. He continued his reforming attempts, and particularly he began the very significant step of translating and writing out the New Testament in English. A radical step as it brought the Gospels close to the ordinary person who could not understand Latin and remove the church, which would be the Catholic church at that time, as the interpreter. Having God's word available to the public in the language of the common man, English, would have meant disaster to that church. No longer would they, have, would they control access to the scriptures. If people were able to read the Bible in their own tongue, the church's income and power would crumble. They could not possibly continue to get away with self-indulgences, which is the forgiveness of sins, or selling the release of loved ones from a church-manufactured purgatory, people would begin to challenge the church's authority if the church were exposed uh, as frauds and thieves. The contradictions between what God's Word said and what the priests taught would open the public's eye and the truth would set them free from the grip of fear that the institutional church held. Salvation through faith, not works or donations, would be understood. The need for priests would van vanish through the priesthood of all believers. The veneration of church canonized saints and Mary would be called into question. The availability of scriptures in English was the biggest threat imaginable to the wicked church. Neither side would give up without a fight. End quotes. John uh, Jeffcoat, English, uh, English Bible history, as he recounts the history of the Bible through the centuries. Now, <clears throat> when we really consider the idea of a hero, 
we care, or a person to whom we characterize as a hero, whether secular or, uh, secular or sacred, uh, we think of men and women who've denied themselves for a greater cause. They, a cause that they saw worth fighting for, much to their own detriment, much to their own adversity, and they may have fought with or without weapons. Those who go to war for the country do so out of duty. And the heroes are not just those who've died, but those who have stood tall in the face of evil. The Christian hero is the person who does not stand out in front of and herald their greatness or absorb the applauses of men. Rather, it is the person who is faithful to Christ, irrespective of the dangers they were called to encounter. Behind all of these feats, these harrowing feats, and these determinative actions, there lies a person, an ordinary person like you and I, whose love for Christ, for I'm speaking of Christians as heroes, for particular Christians, to whom Christ was preeminent in their life. Now may we not seek to be heroes, May we just seek to be faithful until the day we breathe our last. It is an attitude that has gained much applause, respect of others, of the heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll deal with that passage tonight. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why does he do this? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You think about the ones to whom Jesus decided to use as his apostles. Fishermen, tax collectors, everyday citizens. These were not of your upper elites. Now I understand there was Luke who wrote the book of Luke and he was a very intelligent man. He was a doctor. Paul, an apostle, was also very intelligent. But overall, God would use some fishermen with sometimes some very sour attitudes, cranky attitudes. He would use a tax collector who was hate noted as being a scoundrel in communities. God would use these men to turn the world upside down. They weren't some theological pinnacle of excellence. The only pinnacle of excellence in their lives would be obedience to Christ. But yet, while Christ lived, they forsook Christ at the moment he most needed them. It's not about us. It's about Christ. You think about Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, as he tells the church of Smyrna, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And we still talk about those 12 apostles today. Judas, we obviously don't talk about in a positive light, but we talk about the apostles in a positive light. Men who hazarded their life for Jesus Christ and turned the world upside down. And you and I might think, I could never do anything great for God. Because it's not about you. It's about the God that we worship. I want to look at three qualities today of a true biblical hero. It's an interesting study. May we seek to be devoted, not promoted. And, and there are so often times in Christian a, 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 in Christianity a pandering to elevate an individual. It's not about elevating an individual, it's about elevating Jesus Christ. Heroes. Who are heroes? Those on the battlefield are everyday men and women who answer the call to go to war. They go to war, they learn all that they need to, they go to war, and they sometimes perish. But they're like every one of us. Same flesh and blood. I trust today that we would seek, as verse 31 says, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord Jesus, I yield this day to thee. God, I pray that you'd work in my lips, my thoughts, to preach your word faithfully. I pray that we would be found worthy, Lord, and pleasing to thee. Lord, help us to be an example to others behind us of faithful Christianity. It doesn't matter how we started our life. It doesn't matter all the the turmoil of what we've done in our lives, but God, may we be found faithful, faithful unto death. Lord Jesus, I yield this time to Thee. I thank You for being our gracious Savior. In Your name I pray. Amen. I want to look at several things here about a fool. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, would you turn with me here? In Acts, The first uh, characteristic of a hero is a fool. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, In Acts, that's Matthew eleven twenty five, not Acts, sorry. I'm like, that does not make sense. <laughs> when did I pick that passage? Let's try that again. Matthew eleven twenty five. Let's try that again. That other one didn't make sense. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Now, every person on earth... We all have foolishness. Now, foolishness is either before the eyes of man or the eyes of God. The world will say, I remember when I was leaving the military and leaving a good-paying job to go into the ministry, to chain for the ministry. Some will say, why would you give that up? That's foolish. So I'd be counted as foolish before the world to give up a very good-paying job to enter the seminary or college, Bible college, or I went from a good salary to 
I started off at $8 an hour. Why would I do that? Well, I knew I couldn't get away from God. He was making my life miserable, and I knew he called me, and I was trying to run from it. But I was foolish before the world. You realize every one of us is a fool, either before the world or before God. But the, I want to ask you the question, who are you seeking to please? If you seek to please man or culture, humanity, we'll be disobedient to God. If I seek to please God, then I will maybe, possibly, and potentially be seen as ignorant and weak. He's a pushover. As Jim Elliott, Jim Elliot, who would give up his life to reach the Aka tribe with the gospel, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jesus would say there about the very idea that he hid these things from the wise and prudent. What is wise and prudent and, and just having a discretion on the world, Jesus hid that from those who are academically astute, very superior to many others. But he revealed truths to babes. He's discussing that if, you're hum, if you are humble and hungry for truth, you'll understand the truths of God's Word. It's the proud and academic individual who would not understand the truths of God. I'm not against academics. Academics are a very good thing. But an individual who is so intellectually superior as they look towards others, that how could I ever stoop to believe in some archaic beliefs? We've advanced against that, many would say. And yet, these fishermen would turn the world upside down. People would marvel at the words that were spoken from them. How can it be such men would speak in such a way? They would speak against paganism, religious ritualism, and idolatry of their day. The religious rulers wanted to receive all the praises and the applause of men. And yet they performed no great feats for God. They would only compromise with the government of their day. Remember, when the wise men came to Lord Jesus Christ, the scribes and the religious rulers came together into Herod. They showed him the, the scrolls. They said, here's what laid out. And here are people who have the scriptures academically at the top of their game. Yet, they couldn't see clearly the sign of the Messiah before them. It was these same men that would cry out, crucify him. It was also these same men that would say, set us a king over us, as all the nations that are about me. As Israel would say, we want a king, we're tired of a judge and prophets. You know, it says, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty. And there are some that are very intellectual. There's a, a movie we have actually on our church website about a man, the man who created the MRI, a very brilliant man, but he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was his technician that asked him and talked to him about creation whom he initially totally rejected as a foolish idea. But this technician, little by little, as she would speak to her very brilliant boss, in the creation of the MRI, he would come to faith in Jesus Christ. See, it's not about how smart we are. 
It's about how well do I know my Jesus? How well in the Word of God? The the answer is, I mean, there's tremendous heroism that we have seen in our world. Uh, I mean, I think about one of the, Tommy Prince, you know, Manitoba's uh, broken-head Ojibwe nation. He stands tall as an, an indigenous war hero. Fighting in Italy in 1944, disguised himself as a farmer and managed to restore a broken communication line with German soldiers nearby. Later that year, he ventured behind enemy lines on foot and helped to catch a thousand soldiers. He was awarded the Silver Star and the Military Medal for his efforts. Man, of his own will and abilities, can accomplish great successes, great feats. But it was in the wisdom and power of God that these fishermen and tax collector and the Apostle Paul, their wisdom that came from God would confound the wise. How can this be? You realize that God used a a short British woman named Gladys Aylward. She went over to China. She had been denied entry by a mission board because she wasn't fit. And yet she went because God called her. They, she had just been doing, talking about the Lord and working in an inn, kind of like a restaurant and hotel, and she's working there serving people and talking about Christ as she was there. And eventually there's a riot that goes in a prison, and a massive riot, a men's prison. And they say, I want you to go in there. She's thinking, I'm a short little woman. How can I do that? And the warden tells her, you have been preaching that those who trust in Christ have nothing to fear. Uh Uh-oh. She walked into that courtyard and shouted, quiet, I cannot hear when everyone is shouting at once. Choose one or two spokesmen and let me talk with them. The men quieted down and chose a spokesman. Gladys talked with them, came out and told the warden, you have these men cooped up in crowded conditions with absolutely nothing to do. Now wonder they are so edgy that a small dispute sets off a riot. You must give them work. Also, I'm told... You do not supply food for them, so they have only what their relatives send them. No wonder they fight over food. We will set up looms so they can weave cloth and earn enough money to buy their own food. This was done. There was no money for sweeping reforms, but a few friends of the warden donated old looms in a grindstone so the men could work grinding grain. The people began to call Gladys Aylward, Iowa Day, which means virtuous one. It was her name from then on. That riot was stopped by a short... British woman. Insignificant. Despised. God used her. Heroes. In Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 21, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 4? We're so oftentimes looking at people who have tremendous faith, who've done great things. I could never be like them. They were just like us. At one point in their life, they decided, I'm just going to do what God calls me to do. I'm going to be faithful. And little by little by little, God did great things. But in the great things, there were some horrible, horrible battles. They had to fight some very hard things. Freedom 
demands, there's a battle to, to secure it many times. Sometimes God, may, as we find in the Old Testament, God would give freedom from an invading enemy and God would do the work. Sometimes God would empower his people, but nevertheless, there was still an enemy opposition. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11, this is the stone which was the builders set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, and beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, out of the council, council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. Isn't this amazing? Unlearned and ignorant men. What this tells us, the message isn't about us. The message isn't about how well I can deliver it. The message is I'm going to be obedient to what God's called me to do. I'm going to leave it in God's hands to work on the hearts of the men and women. Peter and John refused to stop. They declared the devotion to God over compromise with men. Look with me in another passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? Now, the Apostle Paul, if any man trusts himself that he is Christ, let him, uh, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. I belong to Christ. If you go with me down to verse 10, the whole passage of context is verses 7 through 18, but I'm not going to read that for sake of time. Verse 10, for his letters say they, this is speaking of the Apostle Paul, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. The Apostle Paul, what they're saying is he was not good to look at, and when he speaks... He's not a great orator. His speech contemptible. Paul had been beaten up many times. I imagine his body's been rather disfigured in all the beatings and shipwrecks. His speech contemptible. Then we come a little further down to verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You may not have the same ability to speak 
as someone else. Why? I, I'm just not as good as them. I'm not as good as her. I'm not as good as him. And, and, and we compare ourselves. No, we're not the same. We might not be as good, but I am ex- not as good according to man's standard, but I am great in what God's called me to do. It's not, I've got to stop comparing myself to a world and the abilities of the world and just say, hey, God's called me to do it, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be faithful. In verse 18, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. What is the thing here? God's saying, listen, if I commend you, I put you forward, I've called you. You are the perfect person to do the job I've called you to do. There's not anyone else to do the job I've called you to do. So we find someone in the first thing is a fool to be a hero. Number two is a follower. Jesus would say to his disciples in Matthew 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now these men gave up their occupations to follow Christ. They had spent some time with him. You can look at John chapter 1, 35 through 42. But they were learning of complete followership. A little illustration John Phillips puts forth, these two men needed no further persuasion. They had already seen enough of Jesus to be convinced that he was indeed the Messiah. It was a chance of a lifetime to be called to be charter members of the impending kingdom. At that time, they had no idea that the Lord was headed not toward a throne, but toward a tomb. They did not know that what lay ahead of him was a cross, not a crown. These men were not lazy men, they were hard laborers. And these are the men that Christ would call to be amongst his other disciples. If you can't be a hard worker secularly, why is God going to use you as a hard worker in a sacred fashion? If you can't work hard and prove yourself just in the everyday life, God's not going to give more responsibility to you if you can't be faithful. You see, these men were hard-working fishermen laboring day in, day out. We fished all night, Lord, we caught nothing. Right? As Jesus comes to Matthew, he says, follow me, and Matthew would arise and follow him. Matthew 9, 9 discusses that. Matthew was a dirty tax collector as seen by society. Now, we don't necessarily today have a a great thought of tax collectors, but I don't find that they're nearly as corrupt because there is a system to keep some checks and balances on them. Not like they had back then. Is there still corruption? Most likely. But these Hebrews hated tax collectors. Here's a cultural understanding for you on these tax collectors. They were Jews so lost to honor that they stooped to serve the hated Romans. They served their very captors. There were two classifications of taxmen. The ordinary tax collector and the custom house official called the douanier. The Jews especially despised the latter. The office of the douanier, uh, that's how you pronounce it, (laughs) gave the appointed appointee greater power to enrich himself, vent his spite on people, play favorites, and inflict hardship. The the, The customs official could force merchants to stop their journeys, unload their beasts, and open every bale and package, much like when you go to the border, right? He could rifle through it all, read private letters, exact his dues, and generally make life miserable. Taxes and tolls were levied against rich and poor. There were bridge tolls, road taxes, harbor dues, property taxes, 
as many assessments as rapacious ingenuity could have been. If they could put more taxes, they would do it. Matthew was a public publican of the hated class of these people, had his toll booth at Capernaum. The synagogue, of course, was closed to him, but doubtless he had often seen Jesus elsewhere. He'd heard him speak, seen his miracles. He knew Peter, James, and John, and the other fishermen and ship owners of Capernaum. But there's no way such respected men would associate with him. Here's, you know, you have all your higher class people, your religious people, you have your fishermen, and then way down here you have your tax collectors. Jesus would have everyone. But they followed. They just followed. So a a hero is, number one, willing to be a fool. Number two, a hero is is just say, hey, I'm going to be a fool before men, but I'm going to make obedient to Christ. They're going to be a follower. And number three, they're a fanatic. So this isn't sounding very good. But look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. The message I give is never about me. God may, I was saved on April 30th, 1986, as a young boy. That's amazing. But the message wasn't about what, I, what God's done in my life. The message is what, not, excuse me, not what about what I've done, but it's about what God has done in my life. Let me rephrase that. It's all about what God's done. It has nothing to do with me. Let's look at another passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So as he's highlighting here, as we just looked in chapter 4, the light to shine, the glory is all to go to God. The thanks is all to go to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm not going to win just on intellect. Right, But mighty through God in the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hey, I'm just going to say, you know what, my thoughts that are coming in, I'm going to filter it through Scripture. I'm, I'm, I can't defeat uh, certain habits in my life. I can't defeat strongholds and vices in my life in my own strength. I can't. I need the Spirit of God, the help of God, to defeat it and overcome it by changing my thinking through the Word of God. The the world might say that's fanaticism. Do you realize that Stephen, who was one of the first, 
appears to be one of the first deacons of the church of Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 6, verse uh, 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. God's spirit worked through Stephen in such a way that he, when he preached, God's power was in his preaching. And they said, we can't resist it. We, they're angry. They hated what he said. They tried to shut him down, and they would eventually kill him. Stephen would have been called a fanatic. Hey, I'm just going to stay with Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 7, verse 35, a little further as Stephen preaches this, Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel, which appeared to him in the bush. You know what? A, a, a hero, a fanatic, said, I don't care. Here's all these Jewish people, all these professing believers. They hated Moses. They wanted to stone Moses. They wanted to stone Stephen. He says, I'm going to stick with the message that God has given me. I'm not changing. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up, said, fastened to heaven, and saw the glory of Jesus, and the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He would outright declare, if you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 52, he declared them as murderers these religious rulers because of their ill treatment, their questioning, but they could not be persuaded. Ultimately, he was stoned to death and at, his, at the feet of Saul, later called the Apostle Paul, lay the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. You look in chapter 17 of Acts, city of uh, Athens given to idolatry and it stirred Paul's spirit. Look with me here in Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. He would go there, he would find this idol, the statue to an unknown God, and he said, let me tell you about the unknown God called Mars, oftentimes called, you know, there on Mars Hill where he would do this, but his spirit was stirred. He didn't say, oh, I hate their idolatry. Oh, I hate their paganism. No, God stirred his spirit. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. And you know what? In similar fashion, we see a lot of bad stuff in our community, in our, in our nation, in our, in our province. We see a lot of evil things. Yeah, not to just, oh, I'm hiding from that. i got to stay away. No, my friend. No. Let God's Spirit be stirred within. Man, I want to give the message of Jesus. I'm going to give you a story here of a gentleman named Balthazar Hubmeyer. The council had sided with the native Zwingli, who was one of the Protestant reformers, against Hubmeyer. Hubmeyer agreed to recant. But before the congregation the next day, he attested to the mental and spiritual anguish brought on by his, uh, by his actions. He said, I can and I will not recant. Back in prison he goes, back to be tortured on the rack. He did offer the required recantation. He did recant his, what they would say was false statements. 
With this, he was allowed to leave Switzerland and journey to Nicholsburg in Moravia. This weakness to recant troubled him so deeply, it brought forth a short apology that he wrote in 1526, which includes the statements, I may err, I am a man, but a heretic I cannot be. Oh God, pardon me my weakness. He would end up being burned at the stake, and on that he said, oh my while there burning, he said, on the stake, oh my heavenly Father, oh my gracious God, and, and when his hair and beard were burned, oh Jesus, choked by the smoke, he would pass to the presence of Christ. His wife, the Walt Schutz uh, citizen's daughter, did likewise. And later she would be thrown from the bridge because of, she would have a stone tied around her neck and drowned in the river because of her insistence of baptism after salvation, and you must have an existing faith, and they drowned her. We can easily get fearful. In Isaiah chapter 29, look with me here in Isaiah 29, Balthazar Hugh Meyer would be noted as a fanatic, a heretic. He says, I can't change the message that God has given me. And oftentimes, history does not recount heroes in their true likeness. Whoever the warring nation is and the, the winning nation is, is the one who writes the history books. Because many times, these conquering nations will get rid of the other books of the nation to whom they conquer. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. God just became a tradition of men. A tradition of men. You have a person, a hero, who's willing to be a fool before men, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and willing to be seen as a fanatic. You're too much. If all the world against me, <laughs> I'm still going to stand with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we're trying to be noted as a fanatic. I'm not trying to be noted as, you know, just one of those crazy. I am not trying for that. But I'm just going to stick with the message God's given. Because it's, again, it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do we represent? You know, when this passage of scripture here, these individuals would follow the precepts of men. They just followed church the way tradition has always been. And I understand there are things that we do here that are just traditional. But there's fine things that we do that are steeped in the scriptures. And I desire everything we do to be in the scriptures. That is my desire of my heart as I stand before God. But these people here in Isaiah, they give lip service to God but they don't follow him. They don't obey him. In the last passage of Scripture, before I conclude this morning, in Acts chapter 24, turn with me here, Paul would be noted as a fanatic. You know, the Apostle Paul had made his way before governors and rulers while he was on trial, while he was imprisoned. In Acts chapter 24, verse 
verse 22, Acts 24, 22. Verse, uh, let's look at verse 21, <clears throat> Acts 24, 21. Except it be for this one voice that I cried, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day, this is Apostle Paul speaking. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred, them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your manner. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, what happened? Felix trembled. And answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, a Portius, two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Felix trembled when he heard truth. Paul, you're a fanatic. You know what? We look at three qualities of a biblical hero. A fool, a follower, and a fanatic. Now a biblical hero starts by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not of any good works, just Jesus. I'm a sinner. Jesus died on that cross to forgive me as I'm guilty before God of all my sins. You see, a choice to reject Christ or think you're a good person apart from an exclusive faith in Christ is a choice that will lead to incalculable hurt. As you have a choice. I'm going to stick with what Jesus has said, or I'm going to be rejected, and I'll be rejected by men, or I'm going to stick with men and be rejected by Christ. But Isaiah 29, 19 says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Christian, we ought not to seek promotion and culture's fame. We must seek devotion with a humble name. If you are lost this morning and you're not sure of your salvation, whomever is watching, I trust today that you wouldn't turn from it. You would acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross. You know what? There's heroes of the faith through the centuries. We have a Bible today because of believers through the centuries that said, I will follow Christ. I want the Bible in the language of the people so that everyone can read of the goodness of God. Christian, you don't have to be the most academically astute, the most well-spoken, but you do need to be obedient. God used a bunch of fishermen. God's not looking at your talents. He's looking at what He wants you to do. He's already given you what you need. Will you be faithful? Will you be one that would count the cost? With heads bowed and eyes closed, as we come to the time of invitation this morning, I just want to challenge you. Count. Will you count the cost for Christ? Stop trying to promote yourself and instead seek to promote Jesus Christ. He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb.